You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Scripture reading for today can be found on page 823 in the Pew Bible. It's Mark chapter 11, verse 27, to chapter 12, verse 12. Jesus and his disciples arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. They asked, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't we, you believe him? But if, he were, but if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Then Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect them from, from them some fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck the They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, and others they killed. He had one left left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, G'day everyone, my name's Tim. And uh, I'd love you to have your Bibles open as we look at this uh, together, page 823, uh, because we're sort of going to unpack it as we uh, have a look at it together. Now, really, the, the key issue that we're dealing with tonight, the key issue that this passage addresses, is the issue of authority. 
Authority is about uh, people who have the power to sort of tell us what to do, people who are in positions of power in different situations. Um, and sometimes our immediate reaction to authority is we don't like it, you know. Uh, we don't like to be told what to do. Uh, but if you think about it, each and every single day we move into different situations where we come under the authority of different people. It's pretty normal in any day that we go through. So when you go to school, um, when you walk into the school, uh, you come under the responsibility and the authority of the school principal, the teachers. Uh, You might not like doing what they tell you to do, uh, but they have the authority to kind of set rules and tell you what to do. It's the same uh, when you go to work, uh, when you go onto the work site, or when you enter the office where you work, uh, you've got a boss, uh, or even if you're the boss, you've probably got a board. There are people in authority over you. There are rules and regulations about what you can and can't do in the workplace. Uh, If you're retired, uh, you might be part of a local community organisation, join the Men's Shed or the Rotary Club or Probus or one of those sorts of things. Guaranteed, that club will have some sort of constitution set of rules about how things operate in that organisation. It's so that there's not chaos and so that people know who has authority to make decisions within this organisation. I mean, even if I go and catch a train or a bus, by doing that, I'm coming under the authority of the transport authorities, so-called, right? Uh, I've got to have a ticket, I've got to do things a certain way. So, all throughout the day, we face these situations where we need people in authority and we put ourselves under the authority of others. But zoom out a bit and think about, well, what about sort of the everyday decisions that we might be making in our lives? Um, all through the day, I've got to decide uh, what I'll do. How is it that we make those sorts of decisions? The general approach, I would say, in our culture, our modern-day culture, and this is different from how it would have been, you know, a few hundred years ago, it has changed, is that ultimately the way that we tend to make decisions is looking for the authority in here, okay? We make decisions about what feels right to us. That's the ultimate authority. What does your heart tell you to do? That's what you should do. That is how we make decisions. And even if you haven't really thought about this, about where the authority comes from, it's likely that that's the way you'll operate because it's kind of in the air that we breathe, that that's where authority lies. Authority doesn't lie outside anymore, but within each one of us with the power to make our own decisions. But the question is, is that right? Is that the right way to go about our decisions? Is there some higher authority, some higher power that we need to listen to in terms of making those decisions in our lives. Uh, And this passage uh, gets to that. It's it's all about authority. And in the passage, a group of authority figures, heavies really, come to Jesus and they ask him a question about authority and particularly where his authority comes from. Uh, This is the first in this series that Andy introduced, uh, which we call Jesus verses. Um, And in each of these passages, what happens as we go through sort of from the end of Mark 11, which Tash read to us all the way through Mark 12, 
one after the other, leaders of different religious groups in Jesus' day come to him with a question. So in each case, Jesus is there going about his business and they come and they want to challenge him. They ask him a question each time. And some of the questions, they're really trying to trip him up. They want to get him. And we watch as Jesus, with great skill and um, kind of humour and uh, just expertly handles, like a ninja warrior, their questions, and at the end of this entire sort of section, throws it back to them with a question of his own. Uh, So today, we've got Jesus versus the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. We couldn't fit that on a slide. It was kind of too long, so it just says teachers of the law. But you've got the chief priests, uh, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Uh, So if you've got your Bibles there, uh, starting at verse 27 of chapter 11, we read this. Uh, They, Jesus and his disciples, arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. So just prior to this, what has happened is that Jesus has entered the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey on what we call Palm Sunday. People were waving palms, hence the name. They were throwing their cloaks down on the road to make a path for him. They were celebrating because Jesus was coming and they were really excited about that. They loved what he was teaching. Then Jesus goes into the temple, the holy place for the Jews, the centre of their religion, and he starts smashing the place up. He turns the tables over, he starts getting rid of people with a a whip, driving them out of the temple, people who are selling uh, animals and changing money in them. He, He cleans the place up and says, get out of here, you're not treating God's house for the right purposes, you're not using it the way it's supposed to be used. So he's caused a bit of chaos and As a result, this sort of delegation gets sent to him, these chief priests, teachers of the law and elders. That's what they're responding to. It's worth thinking about, well, who are these people, right? It sounds a bit like a joke. A chief priest, a teacher of the law and an elder walk into a temple. Um, There's no joke going on here. This is serious stuff. But who are these guys? Like we, We read the names in the Bible. What are they about? So the chief priests, well, priests were people who served in the temple. They kind of offered the sacrifice. They were the religious heavies, I guess. And at the top of the tree of the priests, there was a high priest. So in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, it lays out that there was one person who was the high priest who had particular responsibilities and could do things that none of the other priests could do. In Jesus' time, that changed as to who was the high priest. You know, they they might do it for a year, maybe a bit longer, and then someone else would do it. Nowhere in the Bible, in the first part of the Bible, does it talk about chief priests. And the word literally is the same as high priest, but it's the plural, like high priests, you could translate it. But our Bible does chief priests. And probably what it was, it's, there's a reference to it as well in a Jewish writer of the same, at about the same time, a guy called Josephus, he mentions chief priests. And what they were were probably people who had been a high priest in the past or were part of the key... Um, families of priests who would have been the people voted into that role in the future. So they're the heavy honchos. And if you're thinking about authority, these are the people who would have been 
the religious authorities for what happened in terms of sacrifice offering and the people that other priests would have looked up to. The teachers of the law, they were kind of the experts in understanding the Jewish scriptures. The Jewish scriptures were what we call the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. They would have known it back to front and they would have been the one that people would come to and say, hey, I don't understand this passage, what does it mean? They'd say, well, let me tell you, I've read all the books, I I understand it, I've memorised it, I can tell you what it's all about. They're kind of like, you know, people who work in theological colleges, the, the, the academics, um, you know, the really smart people who understand all this stuff. Uh, the elders, well, an elder literally is someone who is older. Um, in the Old Testament, the word that's used for an elder literally is bearded one. You know, someone like Scott Pilkington, you know, who is, oh, and Andy, Andy Barris. It's a bit sort of, it shows you that it, you probably had to be a man to be considered one of the elders, to be a bearded one, although, um, no, we won't go there. Um, but they were older members who in that culture were respected as leaders by the nature of their age. But over time, um, it came to refer to not just older members within any family, but within sort of key aristocratic families, important families, leaders not only of families but of clans, wider family groups. And at the time of Jesus, they were kind of like the civil leaders, kind of like members of the local, um, you know, shire council, that sort of thing. They held responsibility for what happened uh, in the cities, um, and so they were important people too. They were authorities who, ha- who looked after kind of everyday affairs that you would have happened in towns and in cities. So all of these people are important. They're all authorities. What are they doing together? Well, these three groups together formed the Sanhedrin, which was like the high court which had authority and responsibility to make decisions for the whole of the Jewish nation. Um, The Sanhedrin we know, which is like the high court, if you think about the Australian court system, it's the highest of courts that you'd ultimately appeal to, and what they said went. That was the final answer. Uh, And the Sanhedrin was made up of chief priests, teachers of the law, and elders. So when this group comes to Jesus and we read oh, there's chief priests, teachers of the law and elders there, what it means is they are a delegation. They have come from the highest court in the land and they are coming to say, who are you, you country hick Jesus from Galilee, to come in here and smash up the temple, come into the city riding on a donkey while people celebrate your coming? Who are you? Who do you think you are? What authority do you have? Who's given you the authority to do this? Because we haven't, and we are the authorities. That's basically what they're saying to Jesus. So Jesus answers their question in two parts. He answers their question with a question, and then he tells them a story. So the first part of Jesus' answer is, he answers with a question. That's in verses... Uh, 29 to 33 of chapter 11. Uh, They've asked him a question and he responds like this. 
I'll ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from human origin? Tell me. Now, you might think, oh, it's a bit rude. They've asked him a question. He's just asked them a question back. But this was pretty common as a debating technique. Um, It was accepted in sort of Jewish teacher debates that you could respond with a question. So what Jesus has done here was acceptable um, in terms of how things were done at the time. And his question is basically saying, I want you to tell me about John the Baptist. That's the John that is being spoken about here. Uh, John the Baptist was Jesus' second cousin. He was uh, considered a prophet, someone sent from God to speak God's word. And he was baptising people as a way of preparing people for the coming of a great king who was coming, Jesus himself, actually. And Jesus says to them, okay, tell me about John. Where did his authority come from? Did his authority come from God, from heaven? Or was it just earthly authority? Was it just off his own bat that he was doing these things? Well, that puts these guys in a bind because it's a lose-lose situation, no matter how they answer it. If they admit that John actually was a prophet that God had sent, Jesus could go, well, why didn't you listen to him? Because they hadn't accepted John. They hadn't done what he'd said. But if they say, nah, God hadn't authorised him, he was just doing his own thing, then they're in danger of getting lynched because the people loved John and they accepted that he truly was a prophet sent from God. So they answer this way, they're stuffed. If they answer this way, they're stuffed. So they're like, yeah, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, then I'm not going to tell you where my authority comes from. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel. You might think, that's a little unsatisfactory, Jesus. Why didn't you just answer the question? Why didn't you just say where your authority came from? But Jesus does this sometimes. He's willing to be open about who he is and why he's come when he's amongst his disciples, his immediate followers and friends, but he's pretty wary about doing it when he's in a public, political situation. And the reason for that is he doesn't want people to misunderstand what he's saying. He doesn't want people to think that he's um, come for uh, selfish reasons or to establish power for himself. He's very wary about that. And he's also got his own time frame for what he wants to do. So... He doesn't want to be rushed in telling people who he is until the time is right because things will come to a head once he admits that he has actually come from God and the authority that he really does hold. He does reveal that later and when he does, it's immediately before he's actually killed. So he's wary about doing it and at this point, he's not going to play their games and buy into it. But he is dropping hints here about the authority that he's got. He's dropping hints because asking the question about the John the Baptist, Jesus is implying that I've got as much authority, at least as much authority as John had. And Jesus himself publicly says that John is a prophet. He's been sent from God. John himself said, of Je- said about Jesus, someone even more powerful with more authority than me is coming. I mean, I'm not even worthy to tie up his shoelaces. I'm baptising with water, he's going to baptise with the very Spirit of God. God's Holy Spirit's going to be poured on people as a result of this guy coming 
and pointed to Jesus. So Jesus is saying, well, God sent John. Implication, God has sent me as well. So Jesus is at the very least a prophet, someone speaking on God's behalf. But he's more than that. And his next part of his answer goes even deeper and is even more provocative as he comes back at these religious heavies. So the story is in chapter 12, verses 1 to 11, and it's a story about a vineyard, a place where grapes grow for making wine, and some tenants or some farmers who were running it. It's a pretty simple story on the surface, right? There's a guy and he's got a vineyard. He's going away, so he's like, I need someone to rent the place, you know, like you'd rent out a house if you have to move city. And I'll collect the rent in the form of the fruit that is grown. This was a pretty common arrangement at the time. You just collected a portion of the fruit. But when he sends his servants to get his pay, they get beaten up by the tenants. And one after another, they're beaten or they're killed until finally he says, look, if I send my son, they'll respect him. And they kill the son. And their logic is, hey, if the son's turning up here, maybe the old man, the owner of the vineyard, is dead. So the son is the only one left. If we kill him, then we can take the whole place over. It's kind of like what they call adverse possession, where by the nature of being the renter, being the person on the spot, there's no owner left. So it's ours. We can just take it over. So it's this story. It's a violent story but it's sort of a simple story to understand on the surface. But Jesus is actually doing something much deeper than that because he's using Old Testament allusions to tell a deeper meaning. And remember, he's speaking to people who are experts, people who've memorised the first half of the Bible. They know it back to front. And throughout the Old Testament, the vineyard was used to represent Israel, the nation of Israel. Happens in heaps of passages, but the one that is most kind of paralleled to this passage that we're reading is Isaiah chapter 5. There's almost word for word line up near the start of it because in Isaiah 5, a watchtower gets built, a wine press gets built, and you can see that Jesus is drawing the illusion. So in his story, the vineyard is the nation of Israel and its people. The tenants, the farmers the violent ones, are none other than the leaders who he's speaking to. Uh, That's obvious because at the end, they're pretty angry about this story because they know that Jesus is speaking it against them. They're the ones who have authority, responsibility, looking after the nation of Israel. He's having a go at them. The servants are the prophets that God has sent All through the Old Testament, the prophets are referred to as servants of God. So there's this illusion there with these servants who come that they're the ones that God had sent who time after time get beaten up, get ridiculed, sometimes get killed because the leaders and the people don't want to listen to what they've got to say. And then there's the son. And this is really where the heart of this comes, where we see really who Jesus is, what his real authority is. He's described as the beloved son, the only son. 
He's God the Son. He's the Son of the owner of the vineyard, God himself. And he turns up. And the question is, what are these leaders going to do about it? What are these farmers, these tenants going to do when they're faced with the Son? In the story, they kill him. What's going to happen as we have this confrontation face to face? Well, the last time we've heard chief priests, teachers of the law and elders mentioned together in Mark's gospel, this gospel, this uh, biography of Jesus that we're reading, is back in Mark chapter 8. Can you throw that up there, Tim, on the screen? Peter, one of Jesus' followers, has just identified Jesus as you are the king, you're the Messiah, you're the great king that God was going to send. And Jesus says, you're right. And then he goes on and says, then he began to teach them that the son of man, that's how Jesus refers to himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days, rise again. The son, the king, the one who has authority from God, is standing here right now in confrontation with the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. And they will kill him. They'll ensure that he's put to death on a cross. Just like the son in Jesus' story gets killed. But that's not the end of it. Three days later, he'll rise again. Or as Jesus says in our passage, he goes and quotes Psalm 118. He says, the stone that the builders reject will become the chief cornerstone. Even if they kill him, that is not the end of the story. Jesus will rise again and he'll be given all authority, not just in the nation of Israel, all authority in heaven and on earth. God will say, this is the one who is the Lord of everything. There's no greater name throughout the universe than Jesus, and every knee will bow to him, every tongue will confess he's the Lord. He has ultimate authority. There's no one bigger than him. Although Jesus' answers here are just suggestive of the authority that he has, it will be revealed. Through his resurrection, God points the finger at Jesus and said, this is the guy, this is the guy with the ultimate authority that you need to listen to and obey. It hadn't been revealed yet, but it has been revealed now. And the question for us is, how are we going to respond to that? So as I figure it, there's probably three responses that we can make to Jesus' authority. First option is we can reject it. We can say, no, I don't believe that's who Jesus is. I don't think he has authority. I'm going to fight against it. It's a common response all around the world. Sometimes it's a violent response. There's violence in this passage where messages from God are killed, and that happens. People following Jesus around the world are killed because people, they don't want to acknowledge that Jesus might be Lord. And so anyone who says that, who's a follower of Jesus, is to be put to death. That happens all around the world. We're not likely to encounter it in quite the same way. We, we encounter, encounter a much milder version where people just 
ridicule Jesus or ridicule his followers, say that it's stupid. I mean, how foolish is it to claim that one person, Jesus, one man, has all authority throughout the whole universe? That's massive. What a ridiculous claim to make. How stupid is it that people actually make life decisions, you know, about money, about what you'll do with your life, the the work that you'll do, um, about the ethics that you have at school, at work, wherever you might be, based on some guy who lived 2,000 years ago. Like, that's, that's crazy talk. It's possible that um, some people here might hold something of that view, that, I mean, you're investigating Jesus, you're interested, but you're pretty sceptical about this wild claim that he has overarching authority that you need to listen to and give the whole of your life to. I mean, you might acknowledge that maybe he's a wise teacher, he's got a few good things to say, but this more sort of cosmic claim of being the Lord of everything, that's, that's huge, that's a step too far. Unfortunately, I can't water that down. <laughs> that's the reality of what we as Christians claim about Jesus. That's the heart, really, of Christian faith. We believe that Jesus is none other than the Son of God. He's God himself who has come amongst us, that he's this beloved son from the Father that is spoken about here. We believe that he is risen from the dead and that that one-off event in history, that radical event where someone actually rises from the dead, is God's way of saying, pay attention and look at this guy because he's the one who has authority. It's a historical event. It's something you can investigate and check out and see whether it holds up. But we believe that it is true and it's something that you need to wrestle with, you need to investigate it, you need to pray and ask God to reveal the truth about Jesus, whether these things that we're saying are actually true about him. The second response is to acknowledge that Jesus has authority in theory, but to ignore it in practice. Uh, This is something that you might do. You might call yourself a Christian. You might say, if someone said, is Jesus the Lord? You might go, yeah, yep, I think that. But when it comes to the crunch of actually making difficult decisions, when the rubber hits the road, when what you really want to do clashes with what Jesus says you should do, or when what you feel is right, is different from what Jesus says is right and that you should do, well, Jesus loses out and you do what you want to do. That's where the issue of authority really uh, plays out and is lived out. See, if I only do what Jesus wants me to do when it agrees with what I already wanted to do anyway then Jesus isn't really the authority, I'm the authority. And I might say Jesus is the Lord, but it's a bit of a sham, to be honest. Jesus is the Lord in name only, but not in practice. 
Now, let's be honest, this is a danger for every single one of us who calls ourselves Christians. Because it's not like this happens in every part of our lives. It happens in certain areas that we haven't really given over to Jesus and given him authority over and made him Lord of that particular part in our lives. But it doesn't really work like that, does it? There's an old saying that says, if Jesus isn't really Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. If he has the authority, if we acknowledge that he is the Lord, he's the boss, he's the one with authority, then it actually needs to influence every aspect of our lives. The sorts of things I was talking about earlier, decisions about how we use our finances, decisions about what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to use the life that I have in terms of the work that I might do or the vocation I might have? It affects our behaviour, our ethics, our morals, our decisions that we make each day at school, at work, wherever we might find ourselves. And I guess the challenge is, is there an area in your life that you are pretty conscious of actually at the moment that it's your authority, not really Jesus' authority, you're not really giving it over to him and it's actually something that you need to lay before him and say, Jesus, I think I've been holding this back or I think I've been running the show in this particular area rather than letting you run the show. If there's a particular area like that, can I encourage you Deal with that one tonight. Pray with someone later during prayer ministry. Don't just let it slide, but think, yep, God's actually prompting me by his spirit tonight about this particular area that I actually do need to do business with him about. Because that's really the remaining option, the third of those options that I spoke about, to both acknowledge the authority of Jesus in our words, our theory, and to live it out in practice. If Jesus is the Son of God, if he is the Lord of everything, if he has authority, then it actually calls us to radical action as we put it into practice. Uh, When I was a student at university, I was part of a Christian group, and that group had three aims of what they were trying to do. And the second of those aims was to submit every aspect of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. To submit every aspect of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. That struck me really powerfully at the time, and that is still a powerful driver for me in my own life, to say, yes, that's what I should be doing, so what are the areas of my life at the moment which maybe aren't submitted, laid down, to the Lordship of Jesus. It's a constant battle, it's a constant question. Sometimes you think, I'm doing pretty well, and then you spot something and think, yep, that's mine, not Jesus. What am I going to do about it? I do believe that Jesus is the Lord of everything, so I need to submit every aspect of my life to him. More than that, though, I actually believe that Jesus is a good Lord, (laughs) I believe that actually his way is the best way. His way is the way to live life in a way that is flourishing and good 
and whole and the best possible way to do it. And if that's true, then I actually want to be doing this so that I can be living life to the full under the lordship of such a loving, kind uh, and good boss as Jesus. How about I pray uh, for us uh, as the band comes back up to lead us uh, in some more worship. Jesus, thank you that you are the one who does have authority, that you are the boss. Uh, And we do recognise that it is hard to give every area of our life to you. So wherever we're at today, whether we're doubting who you are, whether we're aware of gaps in what we say and what we do, or if there are things that we need to re-examine and bring before you tonight, we ask that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, that you'd really prompt us about that, and that you would show us the way forward to bring those areas under your good and kind and loving Lordship. And we pray that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au. 